When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast with me, Tom Davis, America's canine educator. Today, we have Pete Paxton, and this is going to be a great podcast for any dog person, dog lover, dog owner, dog trainer, anything. Very. Um, what I'm trying to do on the podcast is trying to be as universal as possible. Listen, I'm a person who loves dogs, loves learning about dogs, which has led me to the career I'm in and, and educating and training. And the more I, I dive into the industry, the more opportunities I get to work with people from all over the industry. So on the show today, we have Pete Paxton. Pete Paxton is an investigator that goes in and investigates puppy mills, collects enough data and information to prosecute these puppy mills to a point of them being shut down and never existing and opening again. And some of these puppy mills have a ton of puppies. I mean, we're talking thousands of dogs and you know, it's, it's sad. I mean, I'm a, you know, listening to this podcast and trust me guys, I'm the type of person that if I see anything related to dog um, abuse or anything talking about that sort of thing, I shy away. I don't listen to it. I don't talk to it. This is not going to get into that much detail about the specifics, but it really is eye opening and disheartening to know that these things are happening. But the, the beauty of this podcast is knowing that there's people like Pete that are out there in the field working day and night to getting these places shut down. So I really, really enjoyed talking to Pete. And um, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And just so you guys know, this podcast today is brought to you by my friends over at Dogtra. Dogtra.com. You can find all of my favorite remote collar training collars to uh, to purchase for any type of remote or off-leash training that you want with your dog. And tell people a little bit about what you do and uh, some of the things you've been doing in, in the dog industry. Sure. So uh, my name is Pete Paxton. Um, I do investigative work for animal protection groups. Um, about half of my work since 2001 has been investigating puppy mills and pet stores. Um, it's primarily undercover work. So I have worked at some facilities um, undercover as an employee and at others, I just kind of uh, uh, will go in and, and document the facility by walking on or using surveillance. And the point of all this is to try to uncover the conditions that uh, the pets that we, that the animals that we use as pets, mm. um, you know, where they come from. Um, so a, a great specific example of what I do is uh, one of my biggest clients is CAPS, the Companion Animal Protection Society. Okay. And I'll, I'll go to pet stores and uh, I will, uh, you know, filming undercover, I will, um, I'll ask them, you know, where do your puppies come from? 
um, do you know about the conditions of the breeders? And they'll tell me if they visit them, and they'll often say that the puppies are running around in open yards and so forth. And then I will go to the actual uh, facilities that breed the puppies and then document those conditions, um, report any violations to the USDA or law enforcement, and then we will take all of that uh, footage and then make it public for people to see. So that's that's essentially what my job is. The rest of my job has been uh, doing undercover work on uh, factory farms, slaughterhouses, commercial fishing boats. And the only reason I'd mention that is, um, you know, perhaps as the interview goes on, some of the things that I can explain about what happens with dogs that are in breeding, uh, uh, you know, some of the cruelty that goes on, I don't have to be too graphic for your listeners, but um, mm-hmm. people always want to ask why people would treat dogs like that. And it, the, the similarities between how dogs are treated in puppy mills, um, the reasons for it and the kind of neglect and cruelty that occurs is identical to how livestock such as hogs and chickens are treated. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we outline in, uh, in my book, uh, rescue dogs. Hmm. And this is all, this is all in the United States, right? Um, yeah, this is, yeah. All of, all of my, uh, dog work has been in the U S I have done, I have investigated the dog meat trade in, in the Hmm. Philippines. Um, but besides that, it's all been in the U S. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So I want to take a step back a little bit and talk about like the process. So when you said that you report to CAPS, now is CAPS a, a representation of who are they representing in this? Oh, sure. So CAPS is a, a they're a nonprofit. Um, you know, I have I have a, a variety of clients. They're all non-government organizations. Um, you know, Humane Society, United States, CAPS. CAPS is my just my biggest client by far for puppy mills. Um, and do they do they hire you to go in and, and do this work? Is that how it works? Yeah, um, that's that's what they'll do. So um, I can, you know, for for listeners who maybe have, you know, don't know a whole lot about this and are wondering, you know, who are these crazy animal rights people that are, right. you know, filming things. Yeah, I can I can give you the the real quick version of it. Is that uh, uh we have uh, uh we have things that we'll call there's like selected targets and there's random targets, and Caps likes to focus pretty heavily on selected targets now um and what that means is that means that uh for example i'll go into a pet store like right now the hot issue is uh is trying to pass a bill in new york to ban stores from selling puppies from from breeders right and and so i i had visited well over 70 pet stores in new york and then when i got information about where they the conditions that they claimed their breeders had the puppies in I knew exactly who the breeders were that I was going to, the breeders that were supplying them, and then I documented them. Or or uh, another example would be uh, we had a complaint about a puppy miller a while ago in Minnesota. We had a very specific complaint that she was committing animal cruelty and doing her own surgeries on her own dogs. So I had to go uh, undercover as an employee and get hired into her facility. Now, what I used to do wow. way back in the day is just what we called random targets, which is that any puppy mill anywhere, right? Just go find out what's going on at puppy mills, right? Mm-hmm. If it's in this state, let's just expose it. If it's if it's one of one of a thousand places that are selling to this this chain of stores, just go get into them. And um, 
the the terrible reality which we really try to outline in the book to explain the nuts and bolts of why the terrible reality is that um you you don't have to look too far or look too hard um, yeah. to start finding violations yeah so i want to i want to lay it out for for listeners who are sure. unfamiliar with the process um of the puppy mill and buying puppies in stores, big box stores and et cetera. So basically the, the process works like this and correct me if I'm wrong is puppy mills will breed a specific breed of puppy and then they will then sell and distribute those puppies to bigger stores like malls and places that are going to be selling these puppies. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, The big thing now is that they're also selling them online. Ah, so the, so they're selling them directly, or they're selling them to the store, and then the stores. I guess at what do the mills just produce the dogs, and they don't have anything to do with distribution to individual owners? They only distribute to commercial, let's say, businesses. Well, it it could be either or, um, and so so for example, um, what what uh, most puppy millers prefer to do, most commercial breeders is they prefer to sell to a broker. So ah. let's just say that uh, if you want to sell sight unseen, that means you are not actually meeting the person who's buying your puppy, um, and uh, uh, th- then you have to have a USDA license, right? Um, you know, if you're selling for resale, you have to have a USDA license. Um, if you're selling right out the door, you know, you, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to have a USDA license. Um, but uh, but you know, and those people are going to have what's called a Class A license. Class A generally means you're you're breeding your dogs. Now, um, if you have a Class B license, that means you're a broker. That means that you buy puppies and then you resell them. So, um, uh, you know, there's there's a different examples of that. Um, one of the biggest ones is called Choice Puppies in Goodman, Missouri. Uh, I worked undercover at their facility years ago, and and they would have you know three thousand puppies at a time. They'd come from all over the country, and then they would sell puppies all over the world. Three thousand. Right? Oh so, yeah, three thousand, and about a third were sick at any given time, because um, you know puppies when they're young they're very suppressed immune systems and they've been yeah. through a lot. Yeah. Um, but another example of a class B dealer would be a, a facility I worked at that was getting dogs. And some of which people bred, some of which were stolen pets, oh. and then they would sell them to research labs. Um, and that's in a uh, – they made a documentary about the case called Dealing Dogs. Um, but the only similarity there, the only reason that I'd mention it is that all of these facilities, they're Class A, they're Class B, they're licensed by the federal government. So they're inspected by a federal inspector Ah, right right um many other facilities which you know you may or may not call a puppy mill um maybe they're selling out the door or not maybe they have a few dogs or a lot of dogs they may or may not be state licensed depending on the state um and so you know that's that's essentially without getting into the too much of the details of the evidence that's essentially how it works is you have people that most some will sell out the door but most it's online and it's to a store because uh the term puppy mill is common everybody knows right. what it means nobody right. wants to be called it so nobody wants someone coming out to their property to look at their dogs yeah no that makes sense that's so you you said you mentioned Pete that the people are in the United, it's just it's as a professional, right? Um, it's 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 really 
disturbing to know that. And I know that this type of stuff is going on, but not to the extent of what you're telling us and what you're going to continue to tell us, which is interesting. And I think that education is the most important thing moving forward with any of this stuff. It's just like when the, um, for an example, you know, I'm, I'm not, when the documentary started coming out about factory farming, I'll be brutally honest. I mean, I'm not a vegan. I eat meat, but I had no idea that that type yeah. of stuff was, I mean, I, I did, you know, I was thinking the McDonald's, the, you know, the really, really big multi-billion dollar organizations were the only people that were really doing this type of stuff. I didn't realize right. it was local quote unquote butcher shops and um, supermarkets and things like that. I, I, yeah. I just didn't know. And honestly, it changed, it changed the way that I purchased meat um, on all levels, not just fish as well um chicken everything everything that i learned from and it was obviously those types of things are really hard to watch um but but by any means it it was it was just one of those things that the education of just exposing this type of stuff to just tell people that this is what's happening and the way that you get your meat regardless of if you eat meat or or you don't and the way that you you want it to be packaged and produced and all that stuff whatever is really important to know just how it gets to your plate and how the animals are treated. Yeah. And you're, it, you know, you're, you're a thousand percent right. And go um, and going through yeah. this, this process of, um, kind of just, and, and here we are in 2020. And as you know, I mean, the dog industry just alone, just with items and, and services, and it's becoming very, 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 um, it's, it's becoming more of a thing. It's becoming very bougie, if you will. People are, t- people are hiring people to do stuff with their dogs that you never thought would happen. Right. And yet there's still this undercover, um, not exposed thing or things yeah. that is happening in the industry that are, people are so blind to, including myself, which is why, you know, I got this email. I was like, wow, you know, I, I want to learn more about this so I can be more, you know, I can educate other people and, and so, so what you've done as a, as a little recap here for the listeners, cause that's a lot of, it's a lot of information. Right. So right. what you, you've done and we'll get it, we'll get into more specifics is you're, you're basically going undercover as you're, you're going to a job interview as a potential employee to say, Hey, I, I'd love to work at this disgusting, uh, puppy mill or whatever. Right. And, and you, you get hired on and then you would, how long would you be, I mean, tell me that process. How would you go through that process of getting hired in the interview and lying basically and, and getting on the job. That's interesting. Sure. Sure. Um, so not all of them are employment based cases, but for an employment based case, um, I, when I started back in one, you know, my first, my first three cases lasted six months each. Um, but it was, it was for specific reasons. I was going after at two of those facilities. I was going after felony fraud. You know, there was a lot of animal cruelty, but I was going after, mm. um, I was going after something where, uh, you know, vets were signing forms for dogs to cross state lines and they weren't examining the dogs and I had to get access to those forms. Mm. Right. It was very specific. Um, whereas, uh, you know, my other cases, um, uh, you know, once I started doing, uh, a lot more, uh, you know, once I really got into the groove of employment based cases, it turned into six weeks. And then once, and, and I can kind of I can explain this, you know, if you'd like. But once I knew the type of facility I'm at and what kind of predictable criminal activity I'm looking for, two to three weeks. My last few cases that were employment based were just two weeks. You know, that's it. 
and uh, you, you know, you know what you're looking for, you, you know how to it. find yeah. it, how to document it. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, the rest of the puppy mill stuff, a lot of it is what we call walk-ons where I would just convince someone to allow me access to their puppy mill so that I can just get in, show what's going on. And then I'd leave, uh, because many, many puppy mills are very small. You know, it's a, it's a husband and wife who run the facility. Um, and you know, they may not have a lot of employees. Um, and then the other type of work would just be surveillance, just whatever it takes to get eyes on it. So that if, if, uh, for example, if a store says these dogs are not in cages, these dogs are running in grassy yards, look at this video of dogs in yards. That's how mm -hmm. they all are. You just need a camera on the, on the, on the suppliers to show, look, it's dogs that are spinning in cages, right. you know? Um, and, and I, I should say before we get too in, much into it, I should say, uh, to your listeners real quick, um, uh, regardless of whatever I'm about to say, no matter how crazy or unbelievable it sounds, you don't have to take my word for any of this. Everything that I have to say is there's video and audio documentation that's online for it. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So, <clears throat> all right. So that that's that's a whole can of worms there. That's just like it's really right. it's really blowing my mind right now. I'm trying to wrap my head around, and, and I get it. Like I, there's got to, and I understand anything mass produced and and anything sold. Like if you can get your dog food from the local, um, uh, you know, gas station, it's probably not good. Mm -hmm. And same thing if you go to the mall right. to pick up a a freaking dress or, you know, a ball cap or something. You're like, hey, let's get a dog too. I mean, obviously to me and, and all the other professional dog people listening to this and the dog owners, you're like, yeah. And, 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 and again, we talk about ignorance and not knowing, like if you've bought a dog from a place such as what we're talking about, and if you don't know the things that they've been going through at this point, you know, it is what it is like ignorance is bliss, but right. moving forward from that, you know, my objective is always to educate myself and other people about the things that are going on in the dog world. And of course, your passion and drive is to expose these these disgusting living environments for, for puppies and dogs and tell people like, hey, this is going on in your backyard and you don't even realize it. So right. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say yeah. for me, it's like I, I knew that the puppy I can't even go into there. Like I can't even walk into one of those stores as much as I love dogs. Right. Like it just, it just pisses me off where I'm like, these dogs right. are sitting in metal crates, their bones, they're eight weeks to 12 week old dogs that their bones are still developing. And they're, they're literally laying on silver, uh, like, um, metal crate pans, like some mm -hmm. sort of like fried chicken, just waiting for somebody to come pick it up. And that alone is like, what are you doing? They're animals. They're not, and they, in the way that they expose them, it's like a, it's like a different world. They're in like these, these little boxes for you to view. And it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very commercial. And so I knew that it was wrong and I knew that it's bad and I understand that, but I'm really excited to dive into this a little bit deeper with you to just go over the stuff that you really don't get to see. And that's, that's very like, it's just really exposing, which is good. I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing that. Cause if, oh, the, if thank you, you. yeah, man, well, thank you. Because I, you know, I, I was a dog lover way before I started working with dogs. I'm sure you were too, before you started really getting into this stuff. And if you don't, if somebody doesn't do that stuff, then who will, you know, who's going to actually, ex you know, so you've, you've, you said in your, in your, in your first email, when we corresponded with each other, that, um, you've shut down successfully. You've, you've been able with your work and your, your investigation, you've been able to actually shut big puppy mills down as well. Yes. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's tough. It's um, you know, it it takes a lot. There's a lot that goes into the kind of stuff that happens that's so terrible to dogs. There's a lot that goes into what it takes to overcome them. Um, and I can, you know, um, excuse me, I can, you know, uh, you know, I can explain it. Um, but I, I'd, I'd want to tell your listeners real quick. Um, if you have a puppy from a breeder, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm sure you love right. your puppy. Please have, please have an open mind. And again, don't take my word for anything I'm about to say. You can, you know, do your own research to verify this. Uh, the reason that I do what I do, and the reason that I document things the way I do, is to prove it. Right? Mm-hmm. Not to, not to make you guess, but to prove it. And the reason I've been to well over 700 puppy mills is to show it's not an isolated incident. If, if right. uh, any of your listeners, if, if you're a breeder, and if you're like, hey, I'm not a puppy mill, I just, ha- I just, you know, I, I breed my dog once a year. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Um, you may not agree with everything I have to say, but you know, we, we, if we all love dogs, let's all just be open-minded and, and, you know, take whatever good information we can. Um, basically the, uh, the idea is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of dogs that are euthanized in this country. It's like, it's not quite almost 700,000 now in shelters that are euthanized and you have about 2 million uh, you know, dogs that are bought as pets, right? And so it, it would seem on the surface level, it would seem like you have just over like 1.3 million that we could still breed and we could still buy as pets and you still might not be killing dogs, but it's a little elusive. That information is a little, uh, or, uh, the what we're looking for to save dogs is a little elusive there because it's you still have about 860,000 cats that are euthanized in shelters. So they need homes, right? So you still have this leftover amount. And it's like, well, maybe we still have about half a million that we could get. But the problem is that there's an enormous amount of dogs that need help increasingly in areas like Puerto Rico and the Caribbeans where hurricanes are coming and they're just wiping out people's homes. Mm-hmm. And it falls upon rescues to get the dogs and get them over here. And I've, I've done a lot of uh, factory farm slaughter work in Mexico and and in India and, and especially in Mexico because it's right across the border. Uh, the situation with dogs there is terrible. You know, we we need to be uh, we need to be spending efforts to try and save them and to help them out. And you know, right now you have a, a anyone you know any of your listeners who are part of a rescue community knows that you know dogs cross state lines regularly because there's no space mm-hmm. you know perhaps in your local shelter or even your local state to save a dog who needs help. And you got to get that dog to another state. Well, sometimes you got to get out of the country. You know, so. Yeah. Um, for, for those reasons, um, really trying to promote rescue and, uh, uh, the, what we look for when we're, when, like, if I was to, you know, if I was to go to a, a breeder, what I'm looking for is if they're, if they have a USDA license, I'm looking for violations of the animal welfare act. The facility has to be clean. The dogs have to have a certain amount of space, but the problem is that in the federal animal welfare act, if you can read it online and you'll read about every little thing, they can't have rust, they can't have mold, all this. There is nothing in the entire federal act that has anything to do with a dog's psychological well-being at a breeding facility. So, mm. um, you know, uh, on a lot of the undercover footage, like if you go to caps-web.org, you see a lot of my footage on there and, and other investigators' footage. Uh, on the undercover footage, you know, we're kind of walking through and you see dogs running and spinning in cages. But in the surveillance footage where the camera's just sitting there for over a minute and it's just steadily watching, you know, that's when you see dogs that are spinning in cages absolutely nonstop and they won't quit. And, and when you get those dogs out of puppy mills, 
and you put them on the ground, um, they don't know what to do. A lot of them will just walk in a circle because that's all they've known how to do. Right um, now, if uh, if it's a if it's a federally licensed facility or it's unlicensed, I'm still going to be looking for violations of the state cruelty statute. And most states, what that's going to mean is if an animal is uh, is having to go any kind of unnecessary suffering. So if the animal is in need of veterinary care but it's not being provided. Um, um, you know, if they're injured or sick, or if someone's beating or abusing the animal. Mm. Now, for for abuse, um, that is where you're really going to find out if you do an employment-based case and you work somewhere. And when you work undercover at a facility, the truth is always stranger than fiction. So I can give you kind of two. Yeah very different examples to kind of explain uh, uh, in one of the chapters of, uh, of, of, of the book Rescue Dogs. It's called Maggie, and it's about uh, this huge puppy mill I worked at. I worked undercover there for about six weeks, and um, uh, it, was a, it was the target where we had a complaint. She was doing illegal surgeries on her own dog. She'd already been busted for it. And, what type of surgeries? Um, like, like, what do you mean? Oh, uh, uh, C-sections, spays, neuters, okay. uh, ear croppings, tilt, yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, when I went there, she was getting busted for it, right? And so I go there. You know, she sweats me down because she's already – law enforcement's already on to her. And while I'm there at the facility, there's animals that are – they're being neglected to death. Um, they have pretty severe medical conditions and eye infections, and they're vomiting blood. And they're just kind of left to die, and if, right. they, if they're – and then they, eventually, when there'd be too many, they'd take them off and they'd shoot them. Right? Jesus. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty bad so I, place. And sorry, sorry to interrupt. I I just like I can't like I, I like it takes a it you know it takes a really like for me I just couldn't do it like I couldn't and I'm just giving you my feedback and I'm sure some of my listeners are you know sure. are probably like wow you know because like for me you know in the training industry like I get it like these dogs are gonna these dogs could either die or get euthanized or whatever if I don't help with the problems, whatever, whatever. But yeah. like, I can't even walk into like one of those pet stores without becoming like nauseous and sick to my stomach because I just want to help. That's why it's hard for me to go, like go into a shelter because of what I do for a living and the behavioral cases that I take on. I'm just like, all of this work is in front of me and I can help. And so, and I know that the bigger, the macro is you helping, right? How yeah. hard is it for you to, go through six weeks of watching this happen. Obviously you, you, you like dogs. Um, but how hard is that for you? You know, what's going through your mind when you're watching this happen, when you know you could probably maybe help some of these dogs immediately, how hard is it for you to just turn the other, turn the other way and just think of the bigger picture? You know, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I am the way that I always put it to everybody is that I'm 49% driven by a love of uh of of animals and mm -hmm. and wanting to help animals but i'm 51 percent driven by a love of investigations i love undercover work yeah and so i can um, tell I, yeah. I, yeah you know i know this might sound kind of crazy or this might sound a little strange but you know when it, 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 it even in an animal cruelty case if someone says hey we got an animal cruelty case you know and uh uh you know there's this terrible thing happening and we don't know how to get it yeah, that sounds like fun like, i want to yeah. get it I want to get in. I want to nail, you know, and so um, it, it, I, I hate it when I see terrible things and I hate it when there's I'll be at a facility and there's an animal that I know is suffering right. and I got to go home and I got to log the footage, do the notes and try to sleep. 
and that animal's just there not being helped. I mean, yeah. it's terrible, but you know, um, I, I love building a case when right. it's, when it's been really hard is, uh, I think was my first case probably because it was my first case and because it was dogs. Mm. Um, and because some of those dogs were stolen pets and they were being sold to research labs. Oof. That's when it was, yeah, that's when it was really tough because it was just, it, it was, uh, I can't, yeah, I can't even like put into words what that makes me feel like. You know, there's so much emotion, even just hearing that, you know, just hearing somebody's animal and pet being stolen. And then, you know, yeah. the, the family's out doing the, the post because that's what goes through my head. I have, I have a very what people have told me is like I have empath, which believe in whatever you want to believe. But it's like my ability to to feel feelings of like other animals and other people on a very small level of like when you say that I immediately go into a family gloves and mittens out stapling up missing photo, um, crying, Facebook posts, reward-based systems, um, getting, yep. getting hopes up for the phone to ring. And meanwhile, they're stuck in a cage somewhere getting ready to be shipped to God knows where to be poked with needles until they die. And for me, yeah. that's like, there's a lot of emotion going on with that. And, you know, like well, I we, said, we have, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like, when I watch, um, this is like a silly comparable but when you watch um tv shows like law and order or i watch chicago pd a lot and it's it's obviously it's not real but this stuff happens and sometimes you have to let things unfortunately happen to to get the bigger picture yeah and so i understand but it's just like man it takes you know we i'm just really happy i'm grateful that there's people like you that are able are able to to just look at the bigger picture and say, this is disgusting. And this is something that these people should, you know, get, get everything they deserve. But in your case, you have to build that case in order for that person to be persecuted to the full extent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember that there was a, uh, my first case, um, I was, you know, there was no formal training process, right? But there was this PI who was just this genius who was, he was my handler in my first case while I was working for this small animal rights group. And, um, and, you know, I'm having to, you know, learn to wear a camera. It's scared to hell, you know? Um, yeah. How do you, no idea. What's your camera oh, set up uh, like? What do you, you do like well, a button? The, yeah, I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't. Okay. You know, got it. Got it. Into it but, but what I can say was at the time that we had some pretty, we had some pretty, shoddy gear that was very difficult to conceal you know and that i was and and that it it, you know a a lot of cases that i'll work there'll be people that i think like if i was to get caught if i was to look at them mean they they'd piss off but that first case i was really worried about getting shot and killed i mean these guys were really yeah these guys were these guys so they were they were committing some pretty serious crimes it was this massive target it was that was selling dogs to research labs. It was the biggest in the business. Uh, when that the case shut the target down, um, and when it did, that void was never filled by other targets. It was just they were a hated industry. They were a hated target. Um, they were involved in uh, you know it was federal uh, it was federal fraud. So I was reporting directly to the U.S. Attorney's Office, mm. and um, you know they knew people were on to them, right? And the guys that I was dealing with. You know, um, they were junkies. They were alcoholics. Uh, one money. of them, 
yeah, they just wanted money, and you know, they and they didn't, you know, they didn't think a lot. One of them, uh, he was angry with the boss, with the owner, because the the owner wouldn't let him go see his sick daughter out of town, and he took it out on him by taking a bunch of dogs and saying, "I think these dogs are dangerous," and just shooting them and killing them. And every dog he shot, he thought that's two hundred and fifty to five hundred bucks out of the owner's pocket, right? Mm. And you know, one worker would carry a a twenty two pistol and a quick draw holster on his hip. And after I left the case, that guy, uh, Richard Baldridge, he um, uh, he got uh, he got drunk while on medication and found out his girlfriend was cheating on him. So he kidnapped her at gunpoint and had her drive him to the guy's house and just unloaded on the guy's house. You know, these are the guys. These are the people yeah. I was working with. You know, sure. so I was worried. I was worried as hell. And no, so, it know, makes sense. Myself, makes sense. Yeah. The type of people you that know? would do this to animals. That are, all of that makes oh. sense. Complete yeah, psychopaths, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to be psyched up, right? Yeah. I wanted to be like, okay, how am I going to do this? So yeah. I'm talking to this PI, he's, I'm, he's like, I'm like, all right, I'm not going to, he's like, don't take any risks. You got to be patient. This might not happen in a week or two or a month or two. I'm like, okay, I won't, I won't take a risk unless I got like the gold ticket shot. And I'll never forget, yeah. he said to me, you don't take a risk even then. Mm. Right. I, I don't I don't care if it makes the whole case. You don't take risks. You do this. You, you know, you're going to be patient. Right. And it was learning that it was learning that. Yeah. You know, um, no, just because yeah. I think the evidence will break the case doesn't mean it necessarily will. That if I get caught, that evidence is going to disappear. Right. Yep. And so, you know, it, it was just like waiting it out. And, um, you know, it was yeah, I mean, targets like that. And like this other facility, you know, with this this individual who was doing surgeries, some of the, some of the people there. They, they can be sociopaths, but there's sure. a lot of people who they are otherwise wonderful people, and they will do terrible things to animals. Um, and there's there's a lot of complicated reasons for that. I I remember there's um there's a, we one story we mentioned in the book is uh it, it's in a chapter called Emma, and it said I go out to this puppy mill that that was supplying a store in New York, and there the the puppy mill was out of Nebraska, and they actually invite you to the kennel. Nobody does that. Nobody. Right. And so I thought, wow, this might actually be a good one. And so I show up and the dogs have, um, they're, you know, they're in like pens, but they have access to the ground and it's a little more spacious than what you'd normally see. And I thought, okay, that's, I wouldn't put, you know, a pet, you know, for like that and, you know, for their whole life, but that's, that's a little better. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, can I, and so they had some chihuahuas and I said, well, can I see your, uh, your chihuahua puppies and the the you know the, the husband and wife the husband invited me and he goes sure they're inside every puppy mill like if you go to a pet store most pet stores will tell you oh the breeder raises the puppies inside it's sure. always a lie sure they have a whelping barn these people actually raise the puppies indoors i couldn't believe it right and so i went in and this guy was 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 extremely nice and, and very welcoming and when i go inside and i'm in this footage is online i'm it's called Wanda's Little Stars, and I'm 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 filming undercover. Mm -hmm. He has these. Uh, he actually had um, like baby cribs that he used, and he had the whelping mother chihuahuas and the puppies. And one of them, it's a mother. She's there with a the puppy, and I look over, and there's another one. And there's two little puppies, and they're just born. And one of them's pink and healthy looking, and the other one is dark and purple. And so I pick the puppy up, and the puppy's cold to the touch. I'm like, oh, this puppy might not make it. He's like, yeah, some of them just die. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, she gives him like a sugar syrup. And I, you know, from my working undercover at puppy mills, I've seen that not that's that's not the sure fire way to save a puppy. Right? So then I look mm -hmm. at the mother and her tongue is hanging straight down and I see she has no lower, no lower jaw. And ah. I said, well, well, what's what happened to her? 
He said, oh, I think she got in a fight in a, in a pen, and, and the jaw just kind of deteriorated. Jeez. I thought, good Lord. Okay. So I asked him, I said, well, do you have any dogs? Because I don't want to you know, feed their coffers. I don't want to buy a puppy or anything. But I said, well, do you have any dogs that maybe aren't breeding? You know, I, have a, you know, I know someone who may just want an adult dog. He said, yeah, we have this dog named Emma. You know, it's like 100 bucks. That's it. And uh, she just won't breed. She's three. So she's only three years old. They've had her since a puppy. And she just won't breed. So I go to look at Emma. And Emma looks like a fat little dog and she's running around. You can see it in the footage. You know, she's running around. She's fine. And then he picks her up. And when he shows her to me, her teeth are in horrible shape now. And, and, and again, this statement is, I recorded this statement. He has a, he has a state inspector. He has a USDA inspector and he has a dentist that comes by. Emma's teeth were so bad that she had to have over 20 of them pulled and infection had gone from her teeth through her skull to her nasal cavity oh. and it had caused a heart arrhythmia, right? And and these were the nicest breeders I've ever met in my life, right? So we get Emma out and then and then the problems, Emma's fine, she's in a permanent home now, but when I got Emma out, she uh she didn't know what being in a car was, what music was. Um, she, yeah. she was in a pen where if she looked out in one direction, she saw these giant bushes. And then if she looked out in another direction, she went from the outdoor pen to a little indoor box. And so I remember I, you know, she would attack my hand when I first got her. I had to kind of, I, sure. I spent a couple of days at a hotel to get her to learn to not fear me. And, you know, and uh, I had her on a leash, her first time on a leash. And she's wandering around the grass outside the hotel. And she was just like, you know, she kind of, you know, I, I had to pick her up so she wouldn't get into something. She attacks my hand and I wait till she's calm and I set her back down. And then she 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 was just exhausted at that point. I remember she pooped and she fell down into her own poop. And then she looked over at this yellow sunset. And that's when it occurred to me. That's probably the first sunset Emma had ever seen in her life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 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 she's she's rehabilitated in a, in a forever home. But it was one of those lessons that, you know, it, if it doesn't matter, you know how nice or how wonderful of, of a person you are. Is that if you're if you're using dogs for money, if your objective is money, corners get cut, and yeah. the casualties are dogs like Emma. Jeez, yeah, that's yeah. hard. It's hard, man. You know, it's just like I, I just I get it. You know, I really do. But it's like. So, all right. So now that now that I understand a little bit about what you do, um, what what in the future? So, so let's let's talk about being proactive for dog owners sure. because you know the thousands of people that listen to this can then go out and disperse their information too. So from here, there's there's shitty people doing really crappy things, and it's that's never going to change, right? I think that that's something like that yeah. I've learned over time that there's just going to be people always doing bad things. So. Let's say, and, and I also want to, I also want to talk about, you know, like what you, you touched base on in the beginning is because some of my people that listen to this podcast or may listen to this podcast in the future, um, breed dogs and, or buy dogs that have been bred because of their, their certain, uh, liability that right. they need their dogs to do. I, I had a conversation yep. with this on the way over from a client. They were asking about if you want a pet just to have a dog, go to the shelter, um, but if you need a dog to do a specific thing, like law enforcement doesn't like to lean on mixed breeds because of so many different variables that go into it, such as funding and making sure that the dog um, can save a person's life or, multi- or hundreds of people's lives, you know, making sure that their, their longevity and their health is going to be 
as good as it possibly can as, as far as we can predict. And, and there's, mm. so I guess my point is, is there's definitely a time and a place to buy a purebred dog for certain reasons. That's why they're there. But for, for anybody else that's in the rescue organization or is looking to get just a dog or, or even, so would you, would you feel safe to say that any, any dog in a box store in the mall or the places that are selling puppies the chances of them being in good condition is is little to none. Yeah, um, the chances of them being in good condition, I would say, is virtually zero. Okay. Um, I, I'm when I've you know um, I've worked undercover at a pet store and it was always puppy. I, I would visit the breeders that were supplying us and they were all puppy mills. Um, uh, you know, I know HSUS has just done a Humane Society of the United States has just done a fantastic job going undercover into a whole lot of Petland pet stores and just found, you know, seeing all, all the you know all. Mm-hmm. all the puppies that come in, how sick they get and how, you know, how people are trying to sell sick puppies to people. That's what I saw when I was, I worked undercover at a pet store. Um, but from the, from, from the, the bottom line is that when you have a, uh, especially when it's a pet store, you buy a puppy online. Um, you know, you, the puppy is separated from the mother at about five to six weeks of age. Right. So, you know, that can cause separation anxiety. Sure. They don't learn to not play bite. Um, they can be fra- afraid of other dogs. Their immune system isn't fully developed and then it's suppressed because right. then they get on a truck, they go to a broker, they go to a store and then the, and then they go home to you. Now, if you get a dog from a shelter, fully developed immune system. Right. And and, you know, uh, there's a lot and there's a lot of diseases you're not going to have to worry about. You're not going to have to worry about parvo, mm-hmm. a full grown dog. Right. Um, um, and, you know, the, a, you know, a dog's. Uh, you know, when it's nature versus nurture, um, you're, uh, it's, it's so humbling. It's so humbling doing an interview with you because you're, you're an absolute professional what you do. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, but you know, it's just, you know, my experience has just been, um, certainly there are certain things about a lot of breeds that yes, they hold true, uh, such as Australian cattle dogs, man, they're just, they're just going to want to, they're going to want to hurt everybody and everything. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I've known a lot of chihuahuas that are just little quiet snuggle bugs, exactly. you know, and they're, they're not all yappy dogs. Right. right. Um, they're not, not all pits are mean. Most of them are just that are little snuggle bugs. Right? right. Um, but, uh, when you, so when you get a dog from a breeder, you don't, you don't for certain know what you're getting mm-hmm. and and no matter what you do to try to raise the dog there's a nature element that nurture is not going to entirely overcome whereas if you get a dog from a shelter you know especially if the dog's been fostered you know if the dog likes other dogs likes cat you should if it's a if it's a good rescue some of them may not know right? yeah a lot of um, them they yeah. just want the dog um, out out of their foster <laughs> right and that's not and so there's several uh there's several great rescues we discuss uh, in the book Rescue Dogs. Now, one of them is the Animal Rescue League of Iowa. And while your point about law enforcement needing dogs, they know what to do with it, you're you're 100% right. I, I do I, I do have to say that one of the people that uh, uh, we discussed in the book is Mick McAuliffe. He's ex-Australian Special Forces. He's a dog trainer with uh, Animal Rescue League of Iowa. Um, I love Animal Rescue League of Iowa. I've brought him a lot of dogs from puppy mills, and they're just fantastic. And um, – when he was in the Australian Special Forces, they only used rescue dogs. And the reason is, in his words, he said, you know who you're getting because they didn't want to just have a dog that they bring up. But the personality, there might be a personality issue that maybe they're not quite sure about or they're trying to ignore the training can't overcome. Whereas if they get a rescue dog, they know they get this animal that's been through a lot, has come out the other side and has this personality. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I guess what I would say is, you know, 
uh, you know, obviously I, I agree with everything you said. I, I would just, what I would urge listeners to do is if they say, listen, I, I really do need this breed because I need this personality. This is absolutely what I need. That doesn't, that alone doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a, a, a puppy from a breeder. If you go to a breed specific rescue, right, you can find a dog or maybe even a puppy and you can, and, and you may be able to still find the personality in fact, you're, in fact, I mean, to be honest, you're more likely to be to, to find the personality you want if you go to a good rescue where they fostered the dog and they know a lot about the dog um, than you are if you if you just get a puppy. Um, you know, and with, uh, breed specific rescues are common, um, but with some places you may have to be more patient if there's not one right in your area. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure, especially yeah. with the the breeds that are a little bit more not not as bred. Um, and the other, the other, cause, cause I'm a, I'm devil's advocate here and I, mm-hmm. I have three different dogs. I have mm-hmm. my older dog, Lola. She's about 17. I adopted her when I was in high school. My family and oh, I wow. adopted her when I was in high school when she was at a PetSmart adoption thing. So, uh, basically the ASPCA or, or some sort of organization will show up to a PetSmart or something and, and, and try to adopt out their puppies. So they're not in the store. They're brought to the store for the weekend because there's going to be people right. there. Absolutely. We adopted her there. She's she's probably going to live longer than any of my other dogs will live ever. Um, right. She's been great temperament. She's been the best. And then I have a St. Bernard where it was one of those things. Um, so, and, and that's what, and that I guess that that's the point I want to have a conversation with you about in your experience because I've seen so I've seen like, and then I have a Dutch shepherd um, and I've seen the way that she, I was there when she was conceived. I was there when she, and I've worked in my profession dealing with um, a lot of the different interviews and the different um, publicity things that I've been involved in as far as like education and making sure people are aware of what is going on in the dog world. Cause that's just my mm-hmm. passion. I've also oh, yeah. seen some really, really, really good breeders that from start to finish the dogs are getting the most the best benefits of care and and really isolating each individual puppy making sure that they are not only well fed but getting multiple checks check up from the vet getting getting everything from their temperature to their weight to their neurological stimulation being cataloged and dialed in to make sure that the dog is progressing properly and if not then they need to take it into consideration so i will say that in my opinion i've also seen breed specific uh breeders out there breeding true dogs for certain things um and and them doing a really great job at that but I, but I would say that the majority of people, especially in my industry where, where I'm dealing with pet owners, that are they just want a dog. I always encourage people to go to um, the, the shelter because those dogs are going to die more than likely if they don't get adopted. And so I think that there's a transparency of there are good breeders that are actually in home and that's the only thing they really do because they produce really nice dogs for whatever they're breeding for. But I also think that there's a lot of so I guess in your opinion, what's the the biggest difference between somebody who's breeding dogs well or humanely, I guess would be the word, and then the biggest difference between that and like a puppy mill would be the way that they are kept, the amount that they're breeding, and the care that they're given? Is that sure? Yeah, um, this is this is getting uh, deep into the weeds, and I love this. This this is great. Um, so uh, I I guess it's that um. You know, I, I have to kind of take a step back, make sure that I'm being objective and fair, because um, 
you know, I sure. everything that I see is cruelty, right? And 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 when I really and and, if, and the deeper I look into it, even if it looks good on the surface, I find something that's bad. But I that sure. said, my common sense tells me that I know that what you're saying is true, right? Um, th- the problem that I have, and 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 shields up, listeners, because I'm not trying to offend you. Bear with me on this. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Is is that a, a breeding dogs means that then dogs die at a shelter? Sure. Right. And that does, if you got a puppy from a breeder, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. You know, you, and, and, and if you, if you occasionally breed your dog again, not trying to, not trying to put you down. But what I am trying to do is, is, is I, I do want us to try to open up our minds just a bit because when we get into the weeds of this, um, a, a good example to use is, People will ask me a lot about um, humanely raised meat. That's great. It's better if, if it's if it's like cage free. It's free range. That's way better than if it's just a normal factory farm. But the problem is that um, if everybody tried, I mean, there's still there's still problems with that. I, mm-hmm. I've worked at cage free facilities and seen the same kind of crimes I see at at, mm-hmm. at caged facilities, you know. But still, animals having more space is better. But the but the the problem is that if we if we all did that we'd be right back to right. factory farming, right? So if everybody said, well, all of us want the dog that's just bred and is, you know, and, and there's a hundred percent attention given and everything's great. We're right back to puppy mills. Cause you gotta, you gotta supply people with all these puppies. Mm-hmm. There is 2 million a year. Right. Um, so I would just urge, I, I, what I would do is I, I would try to say that uh, there's this, um, there's this way of thinking about it's about everything, but about animals especially, and, and it's what allows me as an investigator to draw – if I'm looking for certain types of crimes um, to know what, what kinds of crimes will be committed, how they'll be committed, um, I can just draw a line straight through the hog farms, uh, poultry farms, uh, puppy mills, cat mm-hmm. – it doesn't matter. And it's, um, it's purpose-driven thinking, and it's that we look at something and we say, that is here for this reason. Right. Um, um, you know, these these animals, they're here so that I can fish them out of the sea. And the reason that these chickens are here is so I can eat them. And the reason that these dogs are here is so I can fight them, so I can race them and to look a certain way. That's why they're here. But the reality is that they're not there for any reason. Right. There's no inherent reason that they're there. We, we just we created reasons that suit us. And as, and as time has gone by, those reasons have worked against the physical and psychological well-being of those animals. So if we take a step back and we try to just say, well, if you know, do they exist for their own reasons? And what would they want? Right. in in general. And, you know, here we are. It's 2020. Right. And things are things are as bad as worse than they've ever been. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an enormous amount of animals being euthanized in shelters. There's an enormous amount of uh, uh, systemic cruelty with uh, uh, the same types of, of of crimes being committed against dogs as we see factory farmed animals because mm-hmm. they're all essentially you know factory farmed. Um, so, having caused this problem, what can we do in general to try to solve it? And I would say that you know. Um, trying to really trying to really promote promote rescue and 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 you know um seeing that you know it first saying they don't exist for our profit we have the we have the ability to provide them with protection and love that would just kind of be like a good Mm -hmm. you know base level sure and i also think too um that 
we have, you know, we have this conversation a lot with, you know, and I, in, in between me and my trainers and the industry that I, that I work in, I see a lot of different situations. And I would say that there's always going to be those people, no matter what you and I do, like no matter how hard you work and know how many people you bust and how many, whatever, there's always going to be people that's like, I, I don't care if this animal that I'm buying in Walmart, you know, this, this beef patty that I'm buying in Walmart, this chicken that I'm getting, I don't care. Just give me what I want. Right. And so, yep. and I've, and I've, that's never going to stop. That's never going to go away, which is why we're in the cycle that we're in. And that's life. And we have to do the best we can to go after and, and educate. That's all you can do is say, that's, you know, that's not fine, but here's some light. Just, just so you know, you know, this is what's happening. And I, and I, and I guess my point is, is the people who are, cause it's, it, it's, it becomes such a hard line because it's like these people are probably never, I mean, we're going to shed light on them. The, the bigger corporations, you're doing a good job at shutting down big factory <laughs> stuff, but it's always going to happen. Um, and now we're getting to a point of hopefully maybe states just won't sell dogs and these types of things. But then, then of course, then where does it, cause my, my worry is, is like you're saying is then ha- these types of people are always going to exist whether or not they get their, how they right. get their business out maybe dictated off of the hard work that you provide. So my, my thing is, and then of course I know that this has probably come up in your thoughts too is, and this is just me asking questions. I, I have no on one way or the other, like if you shut down the, the distribute, I guess if you shut down the d- distribution of these dogs in these situations, what if they just said, well, we're just going to keep them in our trunks and sell them in the mall parking lot instead? Because there's going to be those people, and I know that you've seen it and I've seen it, and it's not necessarily – it's hard to target market the demographics of the type of people that are doing this because it's just right. ignorancy. You show, up, right. you show up to a parking lot with your kids, and there's that scumbag that's sitting there that says, hey, guys, I got some puppies. You interested? Uh-huh. It's the same exact puppy mill that was distributing the puppies to the people inside the mall, but now because they've been shut down and they don't have – and again, I'm – huge devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm, I'm always, oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. so now, now they don't have a warm place to stay in. They don't have food, fresh food and water. And now the scumbags that we are talking about that are continuing to trying to make money. It's the same thing as the, the drug, the drug problem we have. It, and, and that's why there's so many battles, uh, you know, of all the things that it's like, you know, people want to monitor them. But anyway, my point is, is, is if you take away the ability for things to be semi regulated because they're in a mall under some sort of corporate cap right. taking away that opportunity for some sort of humanity. You know what I mean? Right. In that, in that process. But then these people are going to find a different way to do it and it's not going to, and then it's going to go completely black, like under, under the table. Do you ever worry I, I, about that? Yeah. Um, so I would say yes and no. Um, um, I would say that yes, I've certainly seen targets do that when I've seen them do that they do it to a lesser degree. Uh, not all of mm. them do it. Um, certainly a lot of them just don't, but you have individuals that they, they're narcissists and or sociopaths and they're, in, right. they're just not going to stop. But what, what I've seen them continue um, is that they have, because they have to go under the radar to a, a lesser degree. Yeah, um, and the only sense. reason I'd say uh, that the other side of it is that um, whenever I see a law pass like California banning the sale of puppies from pet stores or even like when New York City passed a law years ago saying 
puppies have to come directly from the breeder. They can't come from a broker. No more of that, right? You yeah. have to know exactly where they're coming from. I remember going out to puppies in the Midwest back then, and and the, so many of them were closing shop. You know, I mean, thousands and thousands of puppy mills have have, have shut down when they started passing uh, uh, laws in Pennsylvania and Missouri uh, for better conditions. For example, mm-hmm. um, a, you know, a, a law in, in Pennsylvania that said your dogs have to be on the ground. Now you can have all the dogs you want. But they have to be on the ground, and you have to clean it every 24 hours. And the puppy millers said, we can't have 500 dogs and do that. And so the response from the state of Pennsylvania was, well, I guess you can't have 500 dogs. I mean just right. thousands of puppy mills just went out of business, right? Um, now, now where you're right uh, – again, where you're, where you're right is that it, it started even before dogs. Um, where I have seen a lot of puppy mills where they used to be hog farms or broiler farms, uh, chicken broiler farms, uh, broilers being the kind of chicken that's raised for meat. Mm-hmm. And with that business, it's competitive, it's tough, uh, uh, you know, and, it, and it's, um, and it's, you know, it, it, they weren't getting as much in government subsidy because a lot of that is, is subsidized, you know, because a lot of animal eggs are losing money. Um, and as, as much as they could make, if they went to puppy milling, because in puppy milling, you get a higher price per head. And you have more head in a smaller amount of space. So I'd go to a lot of puppy mills where they just converted the hog or the chicken barn into mm-hmm. a puppy mill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, if they have no other way out, they may try to exist below the radar. But uh, again, it's it's that's rare um, because you know um, the, the there's a public outcry against it where we will start to get reports. Uh, if someone is illegally operating after we've busted them, we start to get reports. People will call us and say so and so is selling mm-hmm. puppies, right? And then law enforcement or the USDA can go back out and and uh, uh, someone can try to check up on them. Um, you know, uh, not to say it doesn't happen. I mean, it absolutely all the time does, but it's not it's not to the level as it was when everybody was licensed and everybody was selling to pet stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that what we, what we need is, is to really cut through that. You get to this very complicated, deep level where yeah, you'd have to first see that when it comes to puppy milling specifically, these are agricultural animals, right? I, I remember um, a, a, a massive puppy mill I worked at. I would always say to everybody, Hey, you know, I'm, um, you know, how long you been at the kennel or what are we going to do today at the kennel? And one guy called me out on it one day. He said, why do you call this a kennel? I said, what? And it was 800 dogs there. And he said, uh, I said, well, what do you call it? And he goes, it's the farm. Right. Everybody calls it. The, it's the, it's the puppy farm. Right. Right. So, um, that mindset is, 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 was also legally binding on that case. We, we couldn't get felony convictions on the target for, mm. uh, for torture because, uh, the judge had convinced the jury that these dogs don't have names, they're livestock. So you can only be Jeez. misdemeanors, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, if, yeah. It, 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 yeah, if, if, if you can try to make a shift for the agricultural community so that they can, they're already subsidized by the government. Um, you know, especially, you know, a lot of animal ag is right. Uh, especially the dairy industry is losing profits. They're already subsidized oh, yeah. by the government. If we can make a shift to help them produce products that are better for the environment, better for animals or that don't use animals and that are are healthier for people, then you can they can maintain their dignity. They can maintain their profits, take care of their communities and their families, and then they don't have to worry about just existing below the radar and trying to profit off of a black market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know you you know you talk about a you know changing diet, um, um, you know uh, 
especially with environmental concerns, you know, um, we're tr- people are trying to shift towards eating a whole lot more plant-based foods, mm-hmm. right? And we want more affordable uh, variety for that. Well, we got to start shifting all this animal agriculture, including puppy milling, out of out of the market and start shifting um, start shifting to that. But we gotta we got we gotta take care of our farmers. Right. We got to we got to we got to find a way that they can they can have profits and and grow what it is that we need them to grow. So I think that's the long term strategy. The short term strategy is just uh, 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 passing laws that make it tougher for them to to just blatantly operate and do whatever they want to so many dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think the real problem at the end of the day is just people producing really crappy dogs, because even if they're purebred, like I can't tell you how many German Shepherds and how many doodles, oodles of doodles that walk to my facility <laughs> yeah. that, and it doesn't matter if, if you want to say, okay, realistically, backyard breeding, quote unquote, and people who are breeding for puppy mills are both wrong, but, but there, there are a certain degree of people that are going to be breeding certain breeds for their market, for police agencies that are saving thousands of people's lives that are, Mm. that are, that are out there sniffing bombs. Certain breeds need to be able to do those types of things and the different trainabilities that they have make them more prone to be successful within that field. But I think at the end of the day, the puppy mills need to, to be exposed that it's happening. And I, and I think that the puppy mills should be, will be shut down faster than anything else because it's really easy to convince an entire U.S. market to say these are these dogs and these are how they're they're being treated. We need to stop it because I don't yeah. think anybody's really gonna be like, nah, it's kind of okay. Where if you look at like the ag industry, where it's a little bit more um, geared towards cows, chickens, etc., there's gonna be way more people not caring about the way that they're treated, which I don't, you know, which obviously is is not right, but it's just how it is. True. Yeah. So absolutely. I, yeah. So I think at the end of the day, it's like. You know, anyway, I, I think that you're you're doing you're doing things um, that not like myself. I love dogs. I don't know if I could get into myself. I would just freak out. I would just start freaking out. And just, <laughs> well, like, I don't blame you. You know, the first dog I saw that's like laying in their own vomit and just about death, I would just I would call it quits. And so it takes it takes a real good human being to do what you're doing. And I, you know, from. From being a, a dog lover standpoint, I appreciate the work that you're doing, and and I know that we're running out of time here, so we, we should uh, hop on a call maybe maybe again and go a little bit more in depth. But oh, sure. until then, again, thank you so much for doing what you're doing and sacrificing your own uh, sanity to, to get in there and look at the bigger picture. And for anybody that's listening to the podcast that wants to know a little bit more about you and where to find you, you can tell them, um, what you have going on. I know you have a book and a website and things like that. You can plug that, uh, right now. So people know how to oh, sure. get a hold of you. Yeah. Uh, uh, most of the information, um, uh, uh, on the evidence that I collect on my investigations is for the companion animal protection society. That's caps, C-A-P-S dash web.org. Uh, my book is written with uh, Gene Stone and a ghost author, Nick Bromley. I'm going to out him because he's a great author. Uh, the book is called Rescue Dogs. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, I wrote it uh, under uh, apologies for the alias. It's just the way it is due to my work under the name Pete Paxton. Um, and uh, and also, if you're looking for additional information, you can go to hsus.org. They have a lot of information on their uh, undercover investigations of pet stores, and they have a very useful horrible hundred list of uh of uh of puppy mills so if you're if you are looking if you are at a pet store 
and you are looking at the breeder, you, you if you you know you can Google it real quick and find it on on that list. It's helpful. Um, and yeah. and I got to say uh, again, it's so humbling. Thank you so much. So humbling to to be interviewed by you because you're so Thank good you. at what you do. It's a yeah, it's a real honor. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. And uh, like I said, let's let's try to link up again in the future. I think that there's a lot more yes. we can we can go over and listeners will be intrigued with. So you enjoy your day. You keep fighting the good fight, man. And I appreciate your time. You too. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye bye. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and wow, what a podcast. I hope to have Pete on again. A lot of information. Uh, I know it's disheartening, and, and some of it is is just sucks, but at the same time, like the more we know, the better things we'll get, and so I'm really grateful to have Pete on to talk about what he's doing in the dog world and how he's exposing these very horrific industry leaders, and I'm really grateful for him going out there and doing that because I know that I just don't have the stomach to do it. So anyway, thank you, Pete, for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for joining me on the podcast. I will talk to you next time. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.